Welcome to another Sustainable Wine podcast with me, Toby Webb. This podcast is a recording of a session we held on sustainable packaging on the 27th of November 2020 as part of our Future of Wine conference, which took place online. The conference was sponsored by the British Standards Institution, Chateau Contra Toro, DM and Control Union. Please enjoy the hour-long debate and discussion about sustainable packaging, moderated by Sally Evans, owner and winemaker of Chateau George Sette. If you would like more podcasts on sustainable wine, please search for Sustainable Wine on your podcast app. Thank you. I think this could be a very hotly debated topic, given some of the chat and questions in the other sessions the last couple of days. So uh, just as a way of introduction, I am the owner of a small winery in Fronzac on the right bank of Bordeaux. Uh, my interest in sustainability of packaging is as a producer, trying to make the most sustainable decisions for the environment and also economically to package and sell my wine. And so like everyone else, the producer also wants to keep abreast of all the options and innovations in packaging and how we can tap into them. But it is a challenge to understand the big picture and also interpret all the various data on different aspects that is out there. Uh, and importantly, how they interrelate um, and how they may be uh, relevant in a specific context or for different audiences. So today we're going to look at a cross-section of packaging elements of wine. So not only the container, but the closure, the packaging of that product for transportation. And looking at those means that we're going to be talking about raw materials, manufacturing, transportation, recycling, reusability, far too much for a one hour session. So uh, because we can't cover all the areas in huge depth, um, I felt that the goal for this session was really to bring up some areas that the audience may really not have thought about before and try and move forward the debate as we uh, raise awareness of the various elements and how they are interconnected. So to start, I'd like to ask each of the panelists just to give a few seconds or half a minute um, introduction of themselves, and then we'll come back and start diving into the content of the session. So David, do you want to start? Hello, uh, so I'm David Harvey from uh, Rayburn Fine Wines, uh, where family owned importers of 220 or so let's say artisan level growers from France, Italy and beyond, but half of which are in organics and biodynamics, half of which are certified. And then the, the amazing thing that's happening right now in the last three to five years is the number of people in formal sustainability programs with certification being driven by France. Uh, so that, that's the job and that's our interest. Yeah, mid to top quality wine from sustainable origins. Great, Brad? Hello, everyone. Um, Brad Greatrix, uh, winemaker at uh, Night Timber. So we produce uh, traditional method sparkling wines in the in the south of England. Uh, and I think I'm uh, here today to talk about packaging from the sparkling wine perspective, because still wine, rightly so, I think, by as a proportion of the market uh, dominates the, the 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 topics and and the ideas. Um, but there's always an asterisk when it comes to uh, sparkling wine. So uh, I'll be touching on a few of those points uh, shortly. Great. Uh, Dominique? Hello, uh, I'm Dominique. I'm, I'm running the, the Diam Closure Company. So it's a manufacturing company, uh, marketing uh, closure solution made with cork uh, that have been designed to be clean and consistent and we sell our solutions worldwide. Okay, great. And Lauren? 
Just Pina. So my name is Lauren. I am the export manager for Chateau and a kind of chief sustainability enthusiast, I suppose. And uh, yeah, so Chateau is a very sustainably focused and organic wine producer from Provence. We're very much an advocate for working in harmony with nature, not against it. And I'll be touching upon wine in can and hopefully some other kind of value chain products within uh, cases, cardboard and some of those raw materials that I mentioned. Okay, great. So um, it may not be the focus of this session, but uh, no session would be complete without some input on glass. Now we've heard quite a lot of mentions of the weight of glass bottles over the last two days. Um, ultra heavy glass bottles are held up as unnecessary, but there is a minimum weight uh, that is needed for it to be robust. And we're talking about just about under 400 grams from my own perspective. But David, maybe you could just dive in on what are some of the aspects of glass as a container that we need to understand as we appraise it as, as its sustainability rating. So a few, just a few minutes on this would be great to set the, set the scene. Sure. Um, I mean, glass is just this, uh, this miracle material that started to be used probably 1670s or thereabouts in Portugal for bottling, uh, bottling early port. And that was adopted in, in Bordeaux um, uh, in, the, in the 18th century. But basically under a microscope, glass is flat. It's, it's really two-dimensional. It's not a three-dimensional surface. So it's extremely easy to uh, clean and keep clean. And that's what's uh, different uh, compared to other materials that one could use to seal wine. Um, the only weakness of a, of a glass bottle in terms of uh, the, the quality of the contents is the closure mechanism, which we're going to come on to, right? Um, we're on the OIV say we're using about 36 or making about 36 billion bottle equivalents of wine a year on average and uh, 18 to 20 billion bottles of uh, wine are made on, on average at the moment. We know that from the closure industry which publishes its, its uh, figures within 5 or 10% variance it kind of adds up each year. I haven't got um, total bottles of total number of bottles from glass manufacturers but it has to be about the same as the closures. Um, so about half wine, half the wine produced on the planet is bottled. Um, the a world figure is that 13.5% of waste is recycled, which is not very much. Uh, in the UK, 45% of consumer waste is recycled. 50% uh, of glass is recycled in the UK. So I kind of go on to the back end already here. Um, Switzerland and Finland recycle 90% of glass. So they're, they're on it. Um, but, uh, you know, if glass is this amazing material, um, its downside is the energy used to create it, transport it. Um, we're, we're in this amazing situation where we don't reuse wine bottles uh, in, in the UK or in the marketplace, which is how, you know, originally wine was shipped across, either bottled in Bordeaux, for example, or shipped across and bottled in Edinburgh, Liverpool, uh, London, Bristol, Portsmouth, the historic uh, British ports and the, the five ports of the South Coast. And it was bottled or taken in large containers to people's houses. And then when they finish their bottles, they get them refilled again. So just going back pre-1900, you know, glass bottles were reused for wine. And they're very easy to clean. Uh, there's an ironic thing that we're surrounded by sea in Britain, for the British market. And that would be an amazing cleaning material to clean bottles for, for, um, for, for reuse. And then... As someone pointed out to me, you need to use fresh water to rinse them before refilling. Um, and in, in Britain, the distances aren't very large compared to other markets. So we could here be very easily uh, buying refilled bottles um, 
uh, washing them and then getting them refilled and then buying them again. We've got the resources to do that. Toby, by the way, has uh, also a great point on glass, or actually his point's on cows, but um, you know, cows take a lot of water to, uh, to, to fatten them up. But in, the, in the, the western parts of the British Isles and north of Scotland, there's a lot of rain and a lot of grass. So actually you'll notice a lot of water to feed a cow. Um, there's a lot of water anyway, so it's actually zero cost. In Britain, we're getting very good at solar. There's wave potential, there's hydroelectric potential. Um, and uh, that, of course, gives you the, a very cheap energy for, um, for recycling. So um, we could be upping our recycling game. We can also be, we can also be entering the, the, the reuse game. Um, there's a case study of a little winery in Piemonte called Bronda, which no longer exists. And they basically sold their wine on vrac to um, some of those famous wineries in Italy for them to drink at home because they couldn't afford to drink their own wines. It's quite a common thing these days. And we got them to fill bottles for us. It took four years. They went to the recycling bin, got all the glass bottles out, washed them out, filled them with wine for us. We imported it. And um, it was brilliant. So um, and it cost them nothing apart from a bit of labour. Okay. Is that, is that more or less what you wanted to say on the glass? The yeah, because the, the, the issues of, of um, waste management, we can reduce so far. Like that bottle there is a kilo. That bottle there is 400 grams. You know, from, from one metre away, they look kind of identical. So we can reduce... I mean, the, the other big thing, which is very ironic, is that it costs the same amount to transport a case, sorry, a pallet of your wine to London, whether it's in a 400 gram bottle or a 1.5 kilo bottle. And uh, that's completely ridiculous. There should be a, a, a discount for, for light, shipping lightweighted glass, and there should be a surcharge or a tax or a fuel charge or CO2 charge for shipping heavy glass. And there isn't right now. Um, that, would, that would certainly incentivize um, better behavior. Okay, great. Well, some things to think about there, which I'm sure people will pick up in the in the chat, but also good to hear some positive things about glass as well. So, um, Brad, would you like to just give us a little bit of a perspective on glass for the sparkling wine, but also broader on sustainability uh, in sparkling wine and uh, packaging? Sure, I think... Um glass weight I think is is on everyone's everyone's mind or it's a topic that you arrive to quickly when you start thinking about uh, sustainability and wine um, one of the challenges that we have uh, in sparkling wine or producing traditional method sparkling wine is that the bottle uh, it's although we might we may wish for it to be as as light as possible it also has to do a really important job for us of resisting the resisting the pressure so traditional method sparkling wine uh, six bar of pressure uh, not not insignificant uh, and so the glass needs to be durable enough for that um, the standard, bottle for sparkling wine, uh, traditional method sparkling wine weighs uh, 905 grams. Fortunately, around, uh, I'm going to say 13, 14 years ago, uh, producers, glass, glass producers came up with an option uh, of a, a lighter weight bottle weighing 835 grams. So still a substantial uh, compared, compared to still wine, but that was about the the uh, the, the lowest that that uh, glass suppliers could go without then risking having uh, sending out bottles that are going to burst all over the place and all the hazards that that, that come with that. So 
Um, that's sort of the, the, the state of the art. Uh, I'm not sure what the adoption rate is nowadays for that lighter weight glass. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's quite good. At Night Timber, we moved uh, a, long, a long time ago. So we moved in uh, 2008 to this lighter weight, lighter weight glass. Saves 10, basically 10% of the 10% of the bottle weight uh, means more glass. Not necessarily once it's filled with wine can be can be moved around, but when you're getting glass delivered to you, uh, you're talking about uh, shaving tons off uh, on the on the back of a lorry and and the efficiency that comes along with that. But uh, to give some to the second point uh, that I wanted to make uh, related to sparkling wine, and it kind of relates to the first one, is is this question of question of time. So. Uh, Traditional method sparkling wines spend a long time uh, aging in bottle with us before they before they go out into the market. So some of the wines that we're selling now are from the the 2010 vintage. So our thoughts on sustainability uh, that from from 10 years ago are what we're presenting to the market uh, now. So there's a, there we're, it's a little bit like. Um, steering an ocean liner sometimes that you know you 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 decide to turn the wheel and then it's a long time before you see the before you, you see any you see any movement uh and to, to 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 give an idea in 2008 when we started filling into this lightweight um bottle the conversations at the time it still wasn't certain whether they they were they were going to be strong enough so so we were filling into into lighter weight bottles while some producers were standing back saying wait there isn't enough evidence so um yeah, it can it can take a while for sparkling wine producers to catch up because of that time uh, be, be because of that time lag. But it it is an important it it is an important point. Um, also, then with uh, with sparkling wine is 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 the packaging aspect. So uh, a, a sparkling wine bottle is uh, more dressed uh, than than a still wine than a still wine bottle. But fortunately, there are some uh, innovations and applications that we can use. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, cork is is uh, an, an innovation. Been around been around for a long time. But I do like the idea of using a closure that. In itself forms a forms a carbon sink uh, where it's from the from the forest of which it's grown. I'm not going to spend too long on cork because that's that that's coming up. Uh, but also these uh, foils. Actually, just realizing um, by to to totally by coincidence, I've grabbed a green foil here uh, to talk about uh, green credentials. That wasn't that that wasn't on purpose. I'm not that clever. Uh, but our foil supplier uh, from uh, from from France. Uh, have come up with um, uh, plant-based uh, polymers that this can this can be constructed from, rather than the conventional petroleum-based. Um, so, our packaging suppliers are are working with with us and and with all their clients on on, on sustainable um, options there. <laughs> Where we are constrained on the weight of the glass, uh, for, for example, just means that we have to work harder on, on uh, other aspects, particularly related to, um, to, to transport of our, of our wines in order to um, make that as efficient as possible. Uh, and, and sometimes the, the, the solution can be, can be quite simple. So what makes shipping very in, inefficient Sorry, not necessarily very inefficient, but where you can have inefficient, in, in inefficiencies in shipping is when you're shipping 
air uh, around the world. So, so having things not well packed uh, means that you have voids in the boxes. It means that you have less product per per volume, and therefore you need more lorries, more ships, more containers, etc. So, um, simple things like like organizing your packaging so that there's as little uh, empty space in the in the containers as possible um, can can help uh, in a, in a in a way to make shipping more more efficient. Uh, and finally, actually, on the on the case is 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 just thinking about your materials. So this whole thing. So here we have uh, six six bottles of night timber. Uh, once you've in, enjoyed the wine, that whole thing can end up in your in your recycling bin, save for uh, the wires uh, and the cork. The, the the wire hood that sits on top and the cork require a little more effort uh, on the on the part of the consumer. Um, so that's a uh, step uh, to come down down the line, but also to to David's point, uh, it's it's kind of disappointing to hear that only about forty percent of glass uh, ends ends up in the recycling bin. So um, we do have a decent amount of education down the line uh, to to get the to get the glass uh, being recycled better. But in principle, at least once you've enjoyed that the, the wine, that whole pack um, can end up uh, being recycled. Okay. Uh, that's, uh... And uh, an, an important point that's been brought up by Rochelle in the chat. And if anybody's got any uh, good research on this topic, it would be great. So lightweighting and bottle reuse are somewhat mutually exclusive. So it has a greater durability and hence weight needed to sustain um, the, the, the handling. So it would be very interesting to compare the sustainability benefits of the lightweight single use with a heavier reuse bottle. So um, that's gonna need a whole lot of calculating and complicated formulas, but I really think that's something that people would be interested to hear about. David, did you, have well, you- That's, you that's been that done in Germany that? since 2003 in there. So it's, I think it's pronounced the Farn system where you have to pay a deposit on non-single use glass and plastic bottles and also the crates that they come in. So the idea of the deposit obviously is incentivizes you to go back and get your three euros back per crate and your deposit per bottle. So they estimate they can refill up to 50 times for glass. And yes, the beer is for beer and soft drinks, not wine yet. Um, the bottles are chunky and they look bruised when you get them, but the contents are the same because inside the glass bottle is just perfect. I think we also need to remember that actually, you know, obviously we're very easy at demonizing glass bottles and very heavy glass bottles, but actually in the past 20 years, now today, glass is on average 40% less in, in weight. So it's, you know, we can obviously go and, and mention that obviously heavy glass bottles, et cetera. But in general, the glass industry is doing a lot behind the scenes to actually just make a standard of being a lot lighter than, say, even 20 years ago. So it's, it's come definitely innovative since then. Thanks, Lauren. So um, we could spend the whole of the rest of the hour talking about glass, but we're going to talk on some other different sub subjects. So moving on to closures. Um, I'd really like to bring in Dominique, who is the CEO of, uh, of Diam. And uh, Dominic, a couple of your products were mentioned by one of our earlier participant speakers this morning. So would you like to have a little, explain a little bit about cork, the overall um, um, approach of Diam, and also about manufacturing side, which is fascinating when we talked about it the other day. Yeah, this is a key point. Um, first of all, thank you for welcoming me. Um, David mentioned that glass started in 16th, 16th, uh, 17th century, and actually probably uh, the closure made with cork started actually at the same period. 
Obviously, there were other options, but let's say this one, this was the most successful solutions that was came out at that time. We need to remember that uh, one of the biggest benefit of the the bottle is also to preserve the wine from oxygen transfer. We we must remember that that packaging is really a nice barrier for the preservation of the wine inside the bottle. Now we come to the closure. And the closure made with cork was one of the best solution for the same reason, because it helped to reduce the oxygen transfer going through the structure. Progressively, with the development of new uh, analytical methodology, but also with um, the expansion of the wine worldwide in terms of consumption, we started to see more and more experts drinking wine, discovering that there were some uh, variations or some sensory issue using core closures. And let's say at the end of the 20th centuries, we started to work on it and to try to fix the different issues that we were facing. The first one, and I want I want to start with the first, which maybe would be surprising, it's it's that uh, cork closure can be sometimes inconsistent. It means that uh, respect to that oxygen transferred, uh, transfer that I mentioned, we may have quantities that can vary from one to thousand. So it's a very big variation in a lot of cork. Obviously we try to select cork. I'm speaking about traditional punch cork. We try to select them in order to reduce that variation, but the industry up today has never been able to reduce that variation. This is why sometimes in, Bur in Bordeaux we say they are not great years, they are only great bottles because you, know, you need to have a very nice uh, excellent vintage but you also need to, to find the perfect solution in terms of cork solution that will preserve and get the correct evolution of the wine inside the bottle. The second issue was sensory deviation and the famous or unfortunately famous cork tank coming from the trichloroanisole, which was discovered by a Swiss chemistry in the 80s and that we had to get rid of. And our company, which started uh, in 1933 or 36, in, in, so a century ago, uh, started to have as everybody else, big issue in the 80s with these uh, off flavor. And so we, we worked on a solution to get rid of this uh, TCA. And also we work on a solution that we, we that where we could be able to manufacture a consistent cork. This is why we end up by putting a manufacturing option, processing cork and reducing it to granules, trying to get rid of the unnecessary part of the cork, which are the woody parts or the stones or potentially also some animals, insects that could live inside the cork. And uh, by also uh, cleaning the, the cork with a supercritical CO2 process to extract all the volatile compounds and rebuild a cork solution where we were able also to offer uh, differentiated OTR, so the oxygen transfer solutions that could be adapted to different wine. Some wines are 
going more in a reductive way, other more in an oxidation way. And so we need to find different solutions to make sure we preserve the, the cork. Owing to that, we have been a able the few percent of claims seeing year after year. And this is probably the biggest environmental impact improvement that our manufacturing company has been able to, to achieve. It was to reduce the claims and so to reduce product retool from the market of, of bottles which were uh, tainted or which were oxidized or which were reduced too much. So this was probably the, best, the biggest advantage. And we speak about a lot of money and money is carbon footprint. Money is also environmental impact. Now, I also heard Brad mentioning uh, that he likes uh, the idea of having a closure uh, forming a carbon sink. So it is true that when we use cork, we have the advantage to extract the, the cork barks from the trees. We don't, we don't destroy the trees and we are redoing uh, the, the, the harvest every uh, 12 years. So the, the tree continue to live and continue to store CO2 while, during its life. Uh, now, I also want to be fair on that point. And it reminds me of the discussion that you were just having before about uh, transparency. The, the coke industry uh, and the wine industry uh, had the has had the possibility to integrate the biogenic carbon from the trees and from the, the wines. Uh, and this is obviously the way to show that you have a negative carbon footprint because it's a, it's a lot of captured CO2 compared to the manufacturing operation that you need to, uh, uh, to produce to get the cork finished. Now, um, the European community through uh, the Joint Research Center, which is located in, uh, in Italy, in ISPRA, is working on an updating of the PEF, Product Environmental Footprint. And what does the, the new PEF, which will be released in 2021, end of 2021 say? It says that first of all, carbon footprint, it just, just explain one third of the total environmental impact of a product. So as a manufacturer, obviously have to calculate and to update regularly our carbon footprint, but also we have to take care of the, the other two thirds. It also says that in the future, they will ask the manufacturer not to integrate the biogenic carbon, which comes from the raw material that are used. And I think it's quite fair to be, to be honest because the job that we need to do as a manufacturer is to make sure that our environmental impact uh, will be reduced at most. Now, respect to uh, the origin of the raw material, the reason why Diam, for example, decided to manufacture a solution called Origine by Diam was the following. We are manufacturing cork solution, some of them that are suited to uh, last more than 30 years, uh, so 30 years of storage of the wine inside the bottle. And we all know that the 
oil sourced solutions in the future will be more and more difficult to get to get because the price will increase because there will be less and less oil so it's much better and much more clever to work on renewable raw materials and this is the reason why we went to plant based raw materials either for the binding solutions to to regather re the, the core granules together and also by using uh, bee wax to avoid wine penetration inside the core closure. Owing to that, we can have a solution which long lasts, but also we are sure that in 30 years, in 50 years, we will still have the raw material available because we go for a plant-based solution. Plant-based solution which not, must not be in competition with the food industry. And this is where we are really focused on. So before uh, claiming that we have a negative carbon footprint, I prefer to say I go for plant-based solution to make sure that my solution will be able to survive for centuries as cork solution has been previously. And we will work more and more to try to find those options. And regarding the manufacturing, the key point in our case because we are very automated, the key point is energy. So what all the solutions will, which will allow us to reduce energy consumption by doing any saving, by protecting, by uh, saving energy consumptions, by uh, uh, trying to use less uh, steam or electricity will be good solution. In addition to that, we will also try to work more and more in a way to use renewable solutions coming from electricity to make sure that we also here have solutions that are coming from renewable sources. I, so I always prefer to speak about renewable sources and not only about uh, carbon footprints. Okay, great, very interesting. We've got a, we've got a question um, on the chat about um, cork and in specifically the, the, the origin product. Um, are they compostable, compostable and recyclable, that particular product? Because there is a, they believe that perhaps currently only natural corks are compostable. So how would you dispose of any? Neither natural corks nor uh, diam cork are compostable. Compostable means that your solution needs to be biodegradable in less than five or 10 years. So in both cases, they are not compostable. So if you if you test the cork solutions and there are laboratories doing that, they will put them in conditions and you will discover that after 10 years, the piece of cork will be still there. And I would say, fortunately, just remember that cork uh, as, and uh, closure are being designed to last for decades. If they were compostable or biodegradable, it would be an issue. Now, are they recyclable? The answer is yes. But here again, recycling comes up with the question of how do we recycle? Do we, need, do we, do we have to spend thousands of energy, kilowatts, transportation to collect them? My answer is preferably no. So what we are trying to do in Diam, we are trying to, to work with the glass manufacturers who are having a good recycling process today to 
ask consumer to keep the closure on the bottle because it would be the very best way to collect and use the existing recycling process of closure of a bottle sorry to collect the cork we need to take be aware, be aware that collecting a little piece a little tiny piece of closure worldwide would cost a huge amount, not only money, but of energy. So it would have a very highly negative carbon footprint. So it reminds me the, 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 the information which has been released recently, you probably have heard about the discussion on hybrid cars, where everybody and uh, the, the, our, the, the governments worldwide are pushing consumers to buy hybrid cars. And we are discovering that they are consuming 12, up to 12 times more uh, um, gasoline than the standard car. So uh, we need to be aware about that and we need to be totally transparent about the whole cycle life. So my position is yes to recycle through the uh, current bottle collection, which is pretty working well. I agree with not covering 100% of the bottles, but it is going more and more in that way. Okay, thank you, Dominic. That's an interesting uh, idea that I hadn't heard of before. Um, so switching um, to another area, um, Lauren, um, we heard from the winemaker at Leub earlier talking about biodiversity. So it would be lovely to hear from you uh, in terms of the overall approach to sustainability and packaging at Leub. And also, I think you want to talk about an innovation in packaging that you've recently launched. Yeah, exactly. So as a very sustainably focused business in general, I mean, for the past 20 years, we have been farming with as many sustainable practices we can get our hands on. And uh, so I think whilst we, we really like to look at the business as a holistic arm. So whilst we've done all the farming practices, I think for us, it's always a question of what more can we do in terms of sustainability? And so for those, you know, a few years ago, we looked at our value chain, we looked at who we work with. And, um, and, and specifically chose to partner with, in, with actual companies that put sustainability at their core of their businesses. So that's everything from our cardboard to our corks. I mean, we work with Dominique at uh, Diam and also some natural corks and uh, also our glass bottles. And then the, the next thing for us was obviously to look at our packaging as a whole and what more can we do. And so this year, we have just recently launched a brand new product to us and it's a, a, a rosé wine in can. And I think the, the opportunity was to show that uh, a very well-known, respected producer producing fine wine in, in our region, which is mainly rosé, can actually do something uh, such as this and kind of buck the trend uh, and, and create, a, a create a really good product. So I don't have too much data to hand in terms of our particular product because it only got launched on the 1st of October this year. Um, I think we will definitely see some uh, some more information as of next spring when you know it is very much like a picnic convenience type product. Um, I'll give you a little glimpse of it uh, shortly. So the reasonings why we went into it specifically wine and can it is very much registered as a a, a planet friendly option for a single serving. So I think one of the main factors specifically about wine in can is that it's a lighter alternative to its glass bottle equivalent. I'm not here to demonize glass bottles, you know, the most of our business is glass bottles and we do very well at there. And so it is a case of this is just an additional product to our range and our portfolio. So um, a glass, I mean, a can in general, this little, this little kind of little Leoub uh, can, 
uh, actually only weighs 12 grams in, in, in its empty form. So a glass alternative, or perhaps I'm not too sure on the PET side, but a glass alternative would weigh probably 150 to 200 grams for the same serving size. Uh, so this is a 250 mil can. So instantly you're kind of talking about reduction there. So at Leoub specifically, we definitely go along with the theme of reduce, recycle, reuse. So on the theme of reduction, this is a product that reduces that weight. It reduces the carbon footprint slightly. Um, and that's also because of some another advantage of uh, wine in can or cans in general as a beverage option is actually you save. So um, you've got you can actually fit 2.5 times more volumetrically um, wine in can in the same um, the same volume that you've got, obviously, for uh, for your palettes configurations. So you're instantly saving and instantly reducing um, your, your footprint and obviously the weight uh, in terms of transportation, which transportation is is the second largest emitter of, of carbon dioxide emissions. So, um, yeah good thing to kind of check up on. The other thing is uh, to kind of go back around with the juice recycle reuse is that cans are it, like glass, infinitely recyclable. So they are wildly, um, widely recycled around the, around the world. I have more stats in terms of the European rate. So actually a little bit higher than what um, I've found with, uh, with David specifically on the UK, but in the U in the EU and as of 2019, um, actually, uh, the specific uh, metals were around 75% on average were recycled. And uh, a really another interesting factor is that of all of all aluminium that is ever produced in the world, 75% of it is still in use today. So I think that's just a really nice um, understanding of the fact that aluminium itself is something that does have a very high life cycle assessment. So it's yeah, easily recognized in terms of uh, recycling and it is, it is reused and is made back into, uh, back into aluminium cans for various different industries. So our actual can is made of um, a, a, an actual amount of uh, recycled content in itself as well. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's a really trendy subject. Obviously, there's going to be lots of controversy about uh, why wine in can and uh, why a, a luxury producer would do that. But I think it, you know it's important that we do go against the grain a little bit and say that actually, hey, you can drink good wine in can. And, and here's an example of it. So, uh, I mean, it's so far so good. Uh, we've almost sold out. So we're having to make our second batch very, very soon. But for us, it is a very much a case of a test, uh, an experiment, and to see which markets are open to it. And you never know, you know, maybe, maybe it will be uh, more prevalent in the coming years. But for us, it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting uh, proposition. So yeah, we're very excited about it. And uh, in terms of the winemaking, uh, it's not much different at all. In fact, we didn't make it uh, different specifically with the winemaking side. It is a bit of a different blend. So we did bear that in mind with this. So we made it more simpler, less complex, just really easy drinking style because that's the market. This market is something completely different to, to perhaps the people that would buy the rest of our products. So it's just, uh, it's, it's yeah, very easy drinking. Um, that, that's the whole premise of the product and perhaps for a slightly younger market. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at with it. But uh, early days, I suppose. But uh, there's a lot, lots of really, really fun, eco-friendly uh, commitments that go along with, with one of the reasons why we went into this particular product. Lauren, um, just before you move on to another subject, we're getting a lot of uh, comments in the chat 
um, which you probably wouldn't have had a chance to look at. But clearly, um, you're being applauded for for doing this innovation and also asked comments on clearly you look after the UK market um, and some comments about other parts of the world being much more receptive to cans earlier than the UK. Do you have any view of um, how they how canned wine goes down in other markets and also on a second point um, about the quality of the wine because that clearly as a producer that's your first question is my wine going to taste as well out of a can as as out of a uh, a lovely glass yeah absolutely so the, on the first point the markets clearly the uk have been the most receptive uh, we've actually sold 80 percent of our first batch into the uk we have obviously our sister estate uh, and company dalesford which uh, are also being a big advocate of sustainable farming and sustainable produce for past 40 plus years so they're a natural retail partner that um yeah love love this particular product uh, and stock it and then Secondly, to the UK, uh, the Nordic countries have shown huge interest and are very progressive and very forthcoming with uh, with that particular interest. And also, interestingly for us, Canada. So, um, yeah, we're, we're seeing it spread uh, more so northern hemisphere than anywhere else. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think slightly, I, I believe that the, the southern, more Mediterranean countries will uh, will get there in the end, and, and hopefully we can change a few people's perceptions on the quality side of things. So in terms of the, the winemaking, I mean, for us, it was really important that we, 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 it had to be certified organic was the number one thing. It's the heart of what we do. We all are very big trustees of organics and every, every single product that we do is, it has that at the heart of it. So firstly, it had to be certified organic. There isn't that many, uh, or there aren't that many, sorry, uh, cans on the market that, that have actually certified organic. Obviously there is an investment and a cost that goes along with this, but also one of the interesting factors is you, um, a lot of canning manufacturers they have to use a particular um, product in the winemaking um, to actually stabilize it. And um, unfortunately, that particular product, which is called Velcarin, is, uh, is not certified or allowed within um, certain EU regulations. So um, that also narrows down where you can, who you can with, and what your process is into actually getting it to a final product. So for us, yeah, certified organic was a big one. And then the second thing for us in terms of the produce and the actual provenance is ours is um, it's Cote de Provence appellation. So we purposely did not choose to go with Vin de France or IGP wine. We, we chose to go with what we know best, work with who we know and get good quality juice in there and hopefully change a few people's perceptions on, on having, a, having a good quality juice uh, specifically from, from the can. Okay. Yeah, no, lot, lots more comments that we probably won't have time to go through at this moment, um, but maybe we can come back to when we've got some more um, time at the end with questions, but certainly um, production costs associated with cans compared to glass comes up um, and, and the comment about drinking from a can as opposed to a glass, it, you know, it comes back to the, that old, you know, um, discussion around people like to hear the pop of a cork. Uh, some people say they like to hear a pop of a cork and they don't want to do a screw cap. I guess the same similar comes from drinking from a can or drinking from a glass. It's, it's a certain, you know, experience related. Um, do you have anything on the production cost that you data that you know of, or is that something perhaps a little bit um obviously uh, the the more that you make the production costs come down 
Uh, in terms of the production of the wine itself, it's no different at all. Um, it's it would be in essence the same. Uh, we're using the same suppliers uh, for for the juice, so it's uh, yeah nothing on that side. The only thing that would narrow down and bring the cost down uh, definitely would be the the larger minimum quantity orders that you get. So because ours is a particular small batch, um, it wasn't the cheapest product, and it is not now reflected on that in terms of the retail price. But for that, you're getting a luxury, good quality product, um, and then in terms of the comparison with glass because most of our wine most of our production is in glass bottles that would inherently be cheaper um, in terms of production costs because of the sheer volume of the bottles that we buy in general but uh, in terms of the winery no 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 difference okay now um i know that you also are very uh um, conscious of sustainability across all packaging elements in terms of uh, the bottles that you use and the cans and the outer packaging. We might be able to come back to that. I just want to be conscious that we've got a, a few more minutes of David to talk about the consumer perception. And then if we've got some more time, we'll come back to that or we can open up for more questions around broader packaging. We knew this wasn't going to be long enough this hour. <laughs> Um, David, if you've just got a couple of comments, uh, putting on your other hat in terms of your day job around dealing with selling wine, um, it has come up in other sessions, but maybe you could just give a, a few um, of your thoughts around the consumer perception around packaging and sustainability. Um, and do you see any trends? And is it the consumer that's going to drive any change? I don't, I don't think, personally speaking, it's going to be the consumer that drives a lot of change. Um, it's like there's a sort of a, a self-informing loop with five actors. There's producers, there's the trade, there's uh, the press, there's government, and there's uh, for legislation, and there's the consumer, and all have their part to play. You can say government and legislation is, is, the, is the stick. Um, consumers and the money and the trade and the money is obviously a, a bit of a carrot. Um, and the, the press can help, help set standards and drive the whole thing along. Uh, but everybody has their part to play in it. So hoping it's to consumers. Your consumers like great varieties they like. They like the animals on the label. They like the great varieties in the regions they recognise. And, um, and I, I'm always amazed by the lack of ambition when a lot of people buy wine in shops or in restaurants. They're honestly just delighted to be able to try and pronounce it. And they're delighted when it's not terrible. That's like a great step for a lot of people, which is, which is a great tragedy that we, we haven't got better at helping the general customer learn what questions to actually ask. Like, is it really good? I'll have it. Can I afford it? I'll have it. That'd be a great starting point. Um, the, the quality end of the wine business, people want complete quality. How do you farm complete quality year after year? Through sustainable means. It's the only way. Even 15 years ago, the, the leading five producers of every part of France, apart from Champagne and Bordeaux, were organic or biodynamic in practice. Now, Champagne and Bordeaux can be added to that list, but they were the last two regions of France to uh, have their leading producers working in clean farming. Um, so the quality of the market, that, yeah, that's that. For the young people getting into wine, I, what I can say 25 years ago when I got into wine, I was, we were obsessed by how good wine was. Into wine now, obsessed by what genre wine is. Is it natural? Is it is it organic or biodynamic? Is it natural? Is it, is it vegan compatible? They wouldn't. A lot of young people wouldn't know why you would pay more money for better wine. They don't. They don't know there's better wine. As long as it's natural, they're happy. If it's if it's uh, ten pounds a bottle, thirty pounds a bottle, fifty pounds a bottle, they're just happy that it's natural. And I find that kind of amazing. 
because this disincentivizes producers from making better wine. But also because people are happy with cheaper natural wine, then doesn't that disincentivize them from from buying from buying better wine, which is what producers need in the end, is to is to be able to sell wine for for a better price. So I, I find the the natural is enough genre uh, interesting. In terms of other trends, we got a package from Google this week inside the box. It said, please recycle. We got a delivery from Amazon this week and they're using paper compostable tape. So years ago, paper tape, you had to lick it or put it through a, a, a wet sponge and it fell off and it was a disaster. Now paper-based tapes with latex or rubber-based water-soluble glues are recyclable. So you can put this box in the recycling. You can compost it. Um, so the UK is set to use 6 million tapes, 6 million rolls of sellotape this Christmas for presents. But from which I can extrapolate that the wine trade is going to use hundreds of millions of these to get wine in and out of the UK marketplace. This stuff is 500 years half-life to break down. I can only go to landfill. If you leave this on a cardboard box, you can't recycle the cardboard box. So the end of plastic tapes has got to go. Even sellotape admitted they no longer use cellulose or much cellulose in sellotape, which was, which was biodegradable. So this, this, uh, this tape is, is brilliant. In fact, the Amazon do it mean that they've, you know, this is a great example of a large company saying, whoa, why on earth would we be using that stuff? And this stuff is the right price. So let's just use it. So I haven't seen an Amazon parcel with plastic tape for, you know, months or years. Um, um, David, I could just interject yeah. um, just from, from your perspective in terms of, say, the bottle weight mm. or actually bottle versus can. Have you got any feedback from consumers in terms of they picking up a bottle and, ex and we were coming back to the quality of wine, uh, believing that the quality of the wine was better because it was in a heavier bottle um, or any feedback around the packaging of the actual wine? I've only experienced bottle weight as being from producers' egos. Um, maybe there are some collectors who like heavyweight cabs or Barossa Shiraz in really heavy bottles. Maybe that really turns them on when they bring out this really heavy thing out of a luxury store or out of their cellar onto a dining room table. But I, I think, I hope that there aren't that many people who are that shallow to think that heavy bottle means better wine. To, to me, that's always been a, it's been a producer-led thing. And there are enough critics in the world, notably Jantas Robinson, who's very anti-heavy glass bottles, that you'd have thought a lot of producers would actually just read this stuff and go, hang on a second, I'm not going to get a great rating or a great assessment or great press if I'm presenting samples in super heavyweight bottles. So I can't believe people are still using super heavyweight bottles. Okay. Okay, now I'm going to... Um, oh, I'm going to see um, if there's some other questions coming up in the chat. Um, so one recent one, uh, Claire, what do the panel consider to be innovations that might give the 75 centiliter glass bottle a run for their money? So we've heard from Lauren on one potential uh, innovation. Uh, Brad, do you have anything uh, for the sparkling industry that might replace the traditional glass bottle? Or is right. the... It's hard. It's, yeah, from 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 my seat at the moment, it's hard to see uh, hard to see that coming down the pipeline. Other uh, an alternative to glass, other than I that I know uh, some tank fermented wines or where you can run it, uh, have it at lower pressure, are are using cans uh, as well. So that that's an option for certain styles of sparkling wine. But 
traditional methods uh, sparkling where there is a minimum pressure requirement in order to qualify and it's high. Uh, it's uh, three and a half bar and above. Uh, glass for me seems seems like the current path we're on. And just while you're um, in the chair, as it were, we did have a question earlier on about the foil. Um, and is a foil or the capsule absolutely necessary? Uh, no, not, no, I mean, nothing is necessary in terms of, uh, in, in, in terms of packaging. It's, it's, it's an aesthetic element. Uh, I think in the old days, well, actually maybe even now some producers use that, uh, because if you're not working carefully, you can have your bottles with, <laughs> you line up six of them and you got six different fill levels and the foil hides that. I, I don't think anybody's using the foil for that benefit any, anymore. So it, it is an, it, it is, uh, yeah, uh, an optional aesthetic choice. Okay. All right. Well, um, unless there's anything else specific, I'd just like to do a round to uh, the panel with one more question, um, which is, um, what do you see, given that the um, title of the session was around 2025 and beyond, so what do you see in terms of innovations taking hold in the packaging area as a whole in the next five years? beyond what perhaps you're already doing in your industry. So David, what do you see as a, an up and coming innovation? So yesterday, Simon Doyle from Country Atoro in one of the very first sessions said, in his summary, he said, you need to take sustainability practices, actions, farming, into communications, into our story. And I'm gonna add on to that and then into action. So we had a conversation. Uh, if you farm in a certain way, if you use packaging a certain way, you've got a closure that needs to be recycled or composted, put it on your website, put it on the back label, help, help the consumers accurately buy and then also dispose in the right way of, of, the, uh, you know, of, of their post-consumer waste so that things do go into the right channels to incentivize good action. We de-incentivize de harmful waste. And that we, we don't have that level of joined up communication from raw materials through wine, through packaging, through distribution in the wine industry right now, pretty much at all. And okay. we, we could, but together we could do it. Okay, no, that's a good idea, helping uh, getting, getting more information out how to recycle. Lauren? I completely agree. I think communication is definitely the key. And uh, yeah, that and education could solve the world's problems twice round. So definitely, definitely communication and inherently the the wine world, I think we're somehow uh, behind the curve a bit on the communication. So we're definitely getting there. But I think the next stage, uh, potentially, we could go one step further in terms of technology, and perhaps bring the packaging to people before they make their choice uh, in terms of which wine brand that they want to focus on or buy from the supermarket. They touched upon it slightly in the previous panel with the QR codes, etc. But something that brings life to your packaging, so you still can use very raw materials, so you're not adding on things that perhaps aren't as recyclable. So yeah, maybe that's something that we could look at, um, yeah, using data and technology to, to bring life to, to, to what our offerings are. Okay, Dominique, do you see a an up-and-coming innovation that you'd like to share? Uh, we, we are working on um, something new. If you have a few seconds, I can show you. I just bring the bottle. <laughs> okay. I didn't say that I was going to ask that question, so sorry, you couldn't be prepared. This is, this is uh, a ring that is put on the bottle bore. There is a hole in the middle. So the ring can be 
put on the topple of the boat, bottle bowl before the bottling, and then you have a cork going through. And then you can turn out the, the, the cork as if it were a screw cap. So it's not a screw cap, it's just a ring that has been that is displayed on the bottle bore, and then you have a cork going through, and one part of the cork is pressurizing the ring and it's fixed, so there is no glue. There is a ring which can be, uh, you, which can use uh, recycling raw material. In our case, we use polylactic, so which is uh, so a bio-based raw material, and uh, cork dust coming from our factories. And so it's a new concept that we would like to offer to the market for an easy opening solution with a cork. Okay, great. And then is, is that on the market? No, not yet. Not yet. Okay, so that's up and coming. Brad, mm -hmm. unless you have anything else to add at this point, I think we will close. If you want to have final say on anything you see coming up. I think uh, considering that 2025 is uh, not not so far away now, uh, education is a, is a, is a key part of the story. And just thinking about the the material choices that 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 we make, and then getting the message through to consumers that that things can be reused or or recycled or or composted, even returned back to their their natural state, uh, is is it's it's a it's a really important point. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. The other thing too to, to consider is that obviously all the other businesses that we haven't really mentioned is increasing the amount of recycled content in each of the recyclable uh, materials. You know, there whilst there's still a quite a high percentage, I think there's still a lot of work to be done to increase that content. Mm -hmm.